turn our attention to the Word of God. It's our privilege uh, to do that. It's not only our privilege, it's our responsibility. And we, uh, we enjoy coming together corporately to do, to, to do this. We, uh, we spend time in, our, in the Word throughout the week. We live and we walk with God throughout the week. And it is a special privilege on the first day of the week to come and celebrate with one another uh, what God has done in our lives and our hearts. And we focus on the Word of God Worship the Lord corporately. Our text today is Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. We have been moving through this book, some people think very slowly. From my perspective, I'm going way too fast. There's way too much that we're not covering. There's so much that is not being said and needs to be said and... Um, so we we are moving through this um, this book that is so rich in in theology and in practical Christian living. Paul has turned the corner in chapter four, and he is concerned and he is focused now on our walk. And um, we are now applying what we know in our uh, that we have learned from Scripture. Let me read verses 25 to 32. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Spirit of God, but whom you have by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would... Lord, that you would... Bless the reading of your word and the expounding of your word. I pray that it would be clear. Help us to to be able to apply it to our lives, this practical section. I pray that it affects our walk, our daily behavior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's many illustrations of in Scripture of salvation. We look in the Old Testament at the ark. And we see that. It's clear, a clear representation of what salvation is what salvation has done for the believer, saved us, saved our lives, just like Noah and his sons and his family were saved in the ark. The fiery serpent. God told Moses to put the fiery serpent on uh, a staff, on a pole. Those who look to it will be saved as the snake was biting people. A picture of salvation. In the New Testament, the clearest picture we see in the New Testament is a new birth. 
and just the fact of birth that's a great representation of what salvation is one of my favorite though is in psalm chapter 40 verse 2 and 3 let me just read this to you he brought me up out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock and made my footpath straight or firm he put a new song in my mouth and song of praise to our god many will see and fear and will trust in the lord it's a great picture of salvation. Now you can imagine in, in Bible times there might be uh, pits, uh, there might be tar pits, or you can even imagine quicksand, or maybe the pit that Joseph was put into when he was uh, being treated, mistreated by his brothers. And you can imagine the great hand coming up and saving a person out of this pit, just maybe at the last moment, before he's going down for the last time. Whatever pit, when the person is pulled out and, and rescued, there's still going to be dirt on the clothes. Maybe tar from a tar pit, if it's a tar pit, or a sand pit. There's going to be sand to be brushed off. The passage that we're looking at today is brushing off that which remains, that, that sinful element that remains in our life. That's why I like that illustration. Because it does, it, it does picture, you can, you can imagine the, the sinful residue. The old self is gone and the new self is here, but there's some residue that needs to be taken off. And Paul's addressing that, that sinful residue, as you will, in this passage. And he says, therefore, therefore. Now again, he's pointing back. Uh, he's reminding us that the put-on, put-off process started out salvation. We put away sin and we put on the new self. And he says, as a result of that, continue to do that in your daily life. And that puts us in the context, the broader context of Ephesians. After chapter 4, talking about our walk. So Paul's concerned about our walk, our daily life being pure. He's essentially saying, clean up your daily walk. Clean up your act. What you do. And here's how you do it. He hasn't given us just a, uh, just a command to, to do it. In this passage, he gives us an illustration. He gives us how to do it. He tells us how to do it. A process. And we mentioned that last week. <clears throat> this is the best combination of real life <laughs> that you could find in Scripture. And what I mean by that is you have the sovereign hand of God working within us, that power of God that we've seen in chapters 1, 2, and 3, but also you have the command, you have the command to, uh, to implement it into your life, to do something about it. It's God's work that is worked within you. He is the one that is, has empowered you and given you the desire to change. Now implement it. Change. Put off. Put on. God is not continuously making new creatures from believers. Now, understand that. He's not progressively making new creatures out of believers. No, He's already made you a new creature. You are a new creature. 
That's the point. That's the point of Ephesians. You are a new creature. You have been made new. You do have that new self. Now implement that into your life. So you have the hand of God and the hand of man, the will of man coming together in this perfect illustration. We make the Christian life sometimes so complicated, but it's really not. It's not about my personality, and we, we go delve into the personality traits, and, well, I've got this unique personality, and how does this unique personality deal with sin? We don't make it about, it's not about birth order, or dredging up the past, or our giftedness, our circumstances, our temperament, the environment. No, it's simply about obedience. Just obey. Put off. Put on. Don't make it any more complicated than that. And Paul, uh, Paul gives us some illustrations, some examples of how to do that. Let me show you the point. The point here that Paul's getting across is having been regenerated through the power of the gospel, the believer must continue to take action by implementing a godly lifestyle through the putting on process. Now, I believe on the sign, I said executing. We're executing this godly lifestyle now into our lives. And my wife said, that sounds a little menacing or something. You know, it doesn't sound right. We're executing a godly lifestyle. I hope you understand what I mean. We begin to execute it. We begin to put it into practice. We begin to implement it. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. And he gives us some illustrations, five illustrations. But I want you to know a few things in these illustrations. They all have a, a specific sin that has been identified. A specific sin that has been identified. That's important to note. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to do, is to identify the right sin that needs to be put off. Sometimes our minds can be deceived. Another element is the, the change of mind or, or the change of motive, or the, the question of motive. He, he brings up some motives in here. Why are you doing this? And he clarifies our thinking in this particular area. I want you to notice that there's another element, and that's a, just a biblical replacement. He provides a biblical replacement for each one of these examples. And so you have the pattern of putting off, renewing the mind, and putting on. And that's the pattern that was set at salvation. It continues to be throughout the Christian life. Now, let's go right into it. That's what Paul does. He says, therefore, laying aside falsehood. We lay aside falsehood, lying, intentionally deceiving other people. We do that in many different ways, don't we? Sometimes it's just a hypocritical life. We, we like to look good on the outside and we are essentially living a lie sometimes. But uh, Paul is talking here probably more specifically about the things that we say, falsehoods, um, these things need to be laid aside, he says. Sin is an anchor to the believer. 
it weighs the believer down. Sin weighs the believer down to the point they cannot be useful to God. They can't be the useful servant that God wants them to be. To be. So they, they need to lay these things aside. Continue to put this sinful residue off. And so we, we don't lie. We don't live a lie. Now we live in the realm of, of truth. Not in the realm of lying like we did before. Before God... God got a hold of our life. And he's talking about from the little white lie, if there is such a thing, to, to the grandiose testimony. There is a um, really kind of a Christian comedian, but uh, he, I remember uh, years ago, back in the 90s, I think he was uh, traveling giving his, his testimony. And um, a pretty elaborate testimony. He was in the military and did pretty incredible things and in how the Lord has used him in different ways. And, well, it came out that, what? His testimony was false. And he made this whole elaborate testimony up. And uh, asked why. He said, you know, I just started embellishing the story. And it sounded good and people liked it and I just continued to embellish the story. Paul says, don't lie to one another. It's inconsistent with the new life. We're putting on the new life. Sometimes we lie on our time cards at work. How about lying on our tax forms? Or just in our daily life, we don't tell the truth. We lie. That's sinful residue that needs to be put off that's inconsistent with the christian life so what do we do we replace that with he goes on speak truth each one of you with his neighbor the church is the pillar of truth and those who are part of the church practice truthfulness truth telling essentially that's what it is so we we go around Spreading the truth, the truth of God's word, the reality of life, truth, the way things really are. Now, let's be careful because the truth can be be pretty harsh, can it? Um, so we have to be careful. We don't we don't tell all that we know. We're not required to to tell everything that we know. We, you know, sometimes you go to the the hospital and. And you look at that baby and you don't spread out. That's the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. It might be the truth, but it's probably not appropriate to say at that time. We don't say everything that comes in our mind. We, we hold back. We, but we practice the truth. We may just say some other things. Beautiful hair or red skin or whatever. I've had five babies. I've seen all kinds of... I know what they look like when they come out. It takes a while to adjust. But we don't have to tell all that we know. If we did that, what kind of society would we live in? You know, you go to a wedding and, and of course you're not going to say, that's an ugly bride. That's her day. You don't, you don't say that. That's offensive. We, we don't have to say everything. We, we don't say the, 
sinful, or those opinions. We stop with the truth, <laughs> but we don't go on to our opinions and we, we stop. Or, or sinful feelings. If you want my opinion, boy, and you just, and this is the way I just tell it like it is, and I just, now wait a second, that's not what Paul's talking about. Because go uh, further on, he, he addresses our speech. And, but as, a fo- as opposed to falsehood, Christians are to speak and live in the realm of truth. That's what we do. We finally now are exposed to the real reality that there is the spiritual world and, it, and how it fuses with the, the physical world because there is a God, that God exists, and He created this physical world. And it finally clicks with us, and so we really do have the truth. And we can now speak the truth. So we have to be very careful to do so. That means we have to be careful with our words. We have to be careful, guarded with our words sometimes. And our our neighbor here is referring in this context to the rest of the body of Christ. He says, speak truth, each one with his neighbor, with the rest of the body of Christ. And then he goes on, for we are members of one another. Now this has to do with the rethinking process. So we put off the the lying and we put on the truth-telling. Why? What's the motivation here? And if you look at the handout, I've I've provided you a a list. There's four four things in each each sin category. And uh, the last one says motive. And the motive of this is right here. It's, It's very clear. For we are members of one another. Now, there's many motives for living the Christian life. I mean, we live to the glory of God, right? That's right. We, we live uh, to glorify God. We live for a testimony of Christ. I mean, that would be good enough motive right there. Paul could have said that. There's more, even our own conscience. Don't violate your conscience by lying, Paul could have said. But Paul says, and the motive that, that Paul pulls out here is the fact that we are members of one another. We're part of the body. When was the last time you just said, no, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to tell that lie because I'm a member of the body of Christ. I'm part of Daniel's Bible church. We're members of one another. Now, if um, in a healthy body, talking about the physical body, the communication system is, is really those nerve centers. And I can feel this pulpit or I can feel something in, and those senses bring that information in and pull it to, uh, and take it to the brain. And then in return, my brain tells me what it is. So there's communication going on within the body, right? Well, when that communication breaks down through, let's say, a lie or, or in the physical body, some kind of disease that the brain is not functioning or the brain is saying, uh, sending lies or false signals to the arms and the hands and the legs, we call that this a disorder. There's some disease. There's something wrong with the brain. And sometimes the brain will react to things that are not there. And you know, we say, well, that person's schizophrenic or that person's... You know, it doesn't belong outside. He belongs locked away somewhere. Or sometimes the, the feelings in the hands will break down and you can't, the, the senses are not talking to the brain. And we call that, uh, actually in the Bible times, that would be in leprosy. And that's essentially what happens is the nerve endings begin to erode and, and uh, the, the hands and the sensitives, uh, senses 
uh, begin to erode away or begin to uh, 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 die off. So there's no communication to the brain and it, and it hurts the body. Within the body of Christ, Paul is saying, tell the truth. Speak truth to one another. Now, the one thing that I missed on the, in the handout, the first thing, this, and there's categories Paul is bringing up here as well, and I, I should have mentioned this. This is the category of, of uh, what kind of sin it is that he's talking about here. And the category is the sins that we commit. These are sins that God commands us not to do, but it's sins that we do. Sins that we do. Things that God tells us not to do, but we do. So those are sins of commission. Those are sins that we commit. Okay? So that's a category. And I want you to just point that out because we'll see. The next one's a different category. And the next one's a different category of sin. So I want you to bring those out. So in Paul's illustrations, he gives us a variety of categories. Now look at the next one, number two. Verse uh, 26. It says, be angry. (laughs) Now, I want you to get that. It's an imperative. It is a command. And Paul is saying, be angry. Your, Your ears aren't deceiving you. That's exactly what he's saying. Be angry. Well, that doesn't fit. I thought we were supposed to be angry. I thought we were supposed to be submissive and quiet and peaceful. And, well, we are. But here in this category of sin this category of sin is sins of omission things that we are supposed to do that we don't do things that god tells us to do that we don't do sins of omission and sometimes we need to be angry we need to be angry at the things that god is angry at we are to hate the things that god hates we saw that in first john um, chapter four Maybe a couple weeks ago. Do not love the world nor anything in the world. So there's certain things that are going to make us angry, going to make us mad. And, and that's a strong feeling. Those are strong emotions that help us to and motivate us to do the right thing. When we see sin, it, it takes sometimes it takes some 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 just some strong feeling some gumption, if you will, to just get up and do the right thing toward that sin. And and not be so timid and not be so shy and standoffish, but we attack that sin. So, Paul is saying, I think here, in this context, he's talking about righteous indignation. Now, there's different kinds of sins. There's outbursts of anger. That's that, that's the boiling over effect and uh, it's it's here and then it's gone quickly there's the inward seething that's a angry resentment but there's also a, a deep-seated settled conviction and i believe that uh, i believe that uh, even noah in his day uh, or lot i guess in scripture they points back and it says that 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 righteous man he was Vexed in his heart every day when he heard of the sins of the people. And living in that environment. We live in a, an environment that, that this could frustrate us all the time. So Paul goes on to say... Now, let me point out, though, the difference between righteous indignation, this righteous uh, anger, and sinful anger. Sinful anger is 
self-defensive. Defending myself, self-defensive, self-serving. Um, it's resentful of what other people have done to me. And this is the kind of sin that, that or uh, anger that leads to murder that Christ talked about. This is undisciplined anger. It's a vindictive anger. So there is a, a wrong anger. In fact, that's what he says. And, and do not sin. He says, be angry. That's an imperative. Be angry over the right things. Be, have righteous indignation. But do not sin. Do not sin. So there is that righteous anger. It's, it, it, that motivates us to do the right thing. The sin element is, uh, is dependent upon motives, isn't it? What's my motive for this anger toward this? Uh, what's the purpose of my anger toward this? Or, or sometimes it could be the level of reaction. So those are sins. That's how we can sin in, in our anger. Paul says, be angry. Be angry over the right things. Just don't sin. Don't sin in that anger. In your motives or in your purpose or even in your overreaction, the level of reaction that you have. But he goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So therefore, even this righteous indignation, it's such strong emotion and motivates us to do the right thing that we have to be careful even to make sure we let that subside before we go to bed. We don't let the sun go down on that anger. Even that righteous anger, even the anger toward those who commit abortions or those abortion doctors. We don't, we don't come out and overreact and, and go, let's go kill all the abortion doctors. That's not the appropriate. It's not right. For, it's not consistent with the Christian, what the Christian does. We can be angry over those things. Let your sin go down. Or dispense with that sin before you go to bed. Before the end of the day. Those strong emotions can turn into anger and bitterness that have long-term effects on the heart. It's Christ seeing the, the money changers in the temple. And he, he was angry. He comes in and he just he cleans house. And then it's over. He does the right thing. And the circumstances... Now, what's the motive here? What's the motive behind this? Uh, by the way, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 21. This is a good verse. This is a good reference to write down besides this. Essentially, Paul is saying in that passage, leave room for the Lord. Don't be vengeful. Let the Lord take care of these things. There's some things that the Lord raises up us to do, causes us to do, but there's... There's a, there's a point. We have limitations. He says, let the Lord handle that. Let the Lord take care of those things. Verse 27, though, he gives us the, uh, the motivation. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Well, we, we've got to put this sin off. We, we can't do this. Why? Because if, if that sin continues or that anger continues, then what happens? Well, the devil has an opportunity. If that sin, if that sin is not addressed, then it, he has an opportunity to, to, to cause that sin to fester and to permeate the, the whole body. If that sin, if that sin is addressed, 
And those emotions are, are used to take care of that sin. That's a good thing. But if that sin doesn't go down uh, with the sun, then the devil has an opportunity in your own life for bitterness and for vengeance and for defense of my own rights. Isn't it amazing how Satan can just come in and, and cause us, even in righteous indignation, cause us to have self-pity and pride Self-righteousness, vignignation. You see that in some of the old, uh, the, the Old Testament prophets. Great men of God and, and they do the right thing and they stand up and it's hard and they do the right thing but then, then they are, uh, Satan just has a heyday with these guys. Self-righteous sometimes and self-pity comes out of that. We have to be very, very careful. Let me ask you this, though, just by way of application. Are you attacking the sins in your own life? Or are you just apathetic toward that? You're just complacent toward that? Are you angry at the sins in your own life? How about the sins in your family? Are you addressing those? Or are we just complacent? Are we using righteous indignation at all? Be righteous and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And do not give the devil an opportunity. The motive there, the change in our thinking must be that Satan is looking for opportunities. And so we don't give him those opportunities. Let's move to the next one, verse 28. And he who steals must steal no longer. So the, the, the sin that needs to be put away is stealing. Let him who steals steal no longer. Those who take, uh, take things that don't belong to them very clear. We don't have to define stealing. Sometimes we call it different things. Extortion. It's according to where you are. If you're on Wall Street stealing, well, that's, that's pretty major. And, we, and we, we get angry with those people and we put them in jail. But yet, you know what? Some way we can justify our own stealing. <laughs> oh, it's just a pen. It's just a few dollars here, a few dollars there. Um... He says to put it aside. Put it aside. There's no end to the way people still is there. But you know what? That is inconsistent with the Christian life. That's not what we do. He says, but rather... And the answer, the replacement for stealing... Is work. That's right. Work. That four-letter word... It's work. We replace stealing with work. In order that we may give, it says, it's work in order to give. It is God's plan that we all work. If we are able, we should be working. That's interesting because he goes on to say, performing with our own hands, that's an individual responsibility there. Performing with our own hands, doing our responsibility, pulling our weight... Um, it's self-effort. What is good? What is good? We're doing with our own hands what is good. And that's just, that's talking about God honoring. We don't work in areas that, that God is not going to be honored in. There's the, the, uh, porn industry. Just mention this. 
statistics are hard to narrow down with uh, the porn industry right now because it's, it's kind of actually declining because of so much free pornography that is being put onto the Internet right now. It's amazing. But uh, it was in the billions of dollars. It is now an industry. It's an industry that has, uh, that has just risen up really in the past 10 years, primarily um, computer pornography. There's over 100,000 people that work in this industry. That's not a God-honoring industry. You might be able to make money with that, but you don't want to do that. It's not a God... It's not what is good. But he goes on. So that... Now, this is the motive. What's the motive behind this? We put off the stealing. But he says, so that we will have something to share with those in need. Providing for our own needs is not the end of work. That's not what it's for. We provide for our own needs. We, we of course, get the benefit there. But we have to share with other people. It's, it's the perfect, perfect balance. And the world's looking for this balance right now. I don't know. Culturally, right now, um, the, the world is... Who, who provides for the poor? According to Scripture, it's on an individual basis. The state doesn't. The, the nation doesn't. The, the, uh, the government doesn't. But it's to be done on an individual basis. So you have, you have that perfect balance of personal re- individual responsibility... On a local level. And then you also have the uh, responsibility to give. Of taking care of my neighbor. Taking care of those within my care. Um, you, can only, you can only give really out of... Uh, if you have to give. If you are working hard enough to, to have to give. You have to give from a position in order to help people. If you're not in the position to help people, you're the one receiving. So we earn in order to give. It's an amazing concept. Um, our occupation, though, should be that which we see. We should see ourselves as that which serves the Lord with our occupation. Um, so often, work is associated today with greed and not giving. And it should be the other way around. Biblically, work is associated with giving, not, not greediness. Let me ask you, what, what motivates you to get up in the morning and go to that job? Is it in order so I can give, so that I can have to give to other people? Does it bring you great pleasure to be able to give to people? That should be our motives well, a fourth thing that we need to put off, and these are sins with sins with our words. By the way, uh, the stealing, that was sins with our actions. That's the category. Now we have the category of sinning with our words. And we put off unwholesome speech and put on gracious speech. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Now, again, he's addressing our words, what we say, what comes out of our mouth. And the corrupt or unwholesome words seem, means rottenness. It's just rotten fruit. It's worthless, something that's spoiled or foul. It's foul language is what we used to call it. It's off-color jokes. It's profanity. It's dirty stories, vulgarity. 
Today we, we'd more see uh, double entendres where, where it's, and you see this on, I'm amazed, but you see it on cartoons for kids. And, and they say one thing, but you know that adults wrote this and they mean another thing. And they do this, kids can't pick it up very often. They just don't have that frame of reference. But adults do. And it's, it's so embarrassing, it's so sad to see that going on in children's, uh, in children's material. But you see that all the time. It's amazing. It gets the children used to certain phrases, certain words, certain concepts. That uh, and their little world, they don't have a place for that. They don't put. They don't have. They can't fit that in their mind. So it just goes right over their head, which is a wonderful, gracious thing of the Lord. But it's still being done, and so often we, as adults, can see that. Here's the here's the key, though. These are sins. This is a sin. Our our words come from where our hearts. Rotten words come from rotten hearts. That's what it is. We have to be careful of what we listen to, what we watch, what we put into our minds and our hearts. But also, uh, we have to remember that our minds are also sinful, and we have that residue, residue within our own hearts. We have to be just very, very careful. But what we put into our, mar- our minds and our hearts, it will come out. It will come out of our lips, Paul says. Do not let it proceed from your lips, from your mouth. Only, <clears throat> here's what you replace it with, only such a word is as good for edification. Christian speech is edifying. It's not that you just don't tear other people down, but you're proactive and you're building people up. That's what it is. Edifying, constructive, lifting people up. It's helpful. It's to build um, quality. It's uh, talking about what is good for edification. It's fitting. It's proper for edification. According to the need of the moment. According to the need. You know, Christians don't have to be profound in what we say. We just have to be fitting. We we say the right thing. We, we say what's fitting for the occasion. We say what's fitting for the, uh, the context. That's what we do. We build each other up. We build one another up. Uh, this goes beyond just not saying damaging things, but it goes, it's a proactive thing of building other people up. This means we have to be sensitive to context sometimes. We have to be aware of what is the proper fitting. What is the proper setting? What is the proper context? That's what Paul is saying. A word is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Why? What's the motive? So that it may give grace to those who hear. Have you ever thought about yourself as a means of grace to other people? That's exactly what you're to do. It's not that we're just to be apathetic and just not care, but we are to build up. We're to be aggressively building other people up. Why? So <clears throat> here's the motive. So that it may minister grace. It's to grace. It's God's grace through you. And again, this is a command. Um, the truth, of course, must be spoken in love. Raw truth can can be real hurtful, as we've already demonstrated, but grace can build up so much. It can help so much. When, when your children bring you something on a piece of paper, 
And you look at that and you think, well, what is it? And you think, I have no idea what this is. How do I respond to this mess on a piece of paper? And you, you don't say, well, that's ugly. No, we, we automatically know. We build that little young one up. Tell me about it. What is that? Wow, that looks really cool. How did you think of that? Look at all the colors. My daughter's smiling right there. Now she, I'm exposed here. <laughs> but we give gracious words, don't we? That's the, that's the reaction of the Christian. That's what we do. That's consistent with being a Christian. We can retard the spoilage in the world with our gracious speech. Did you know that? The Lord has left the church here on this earth to be light and to be salt. To retard, to push back that unrighteousness. And how do you do that? Right here with our gracious words. We can be as hurtful and condemning and as pointed and cutting as we want to be. Or we can be as those who build up. Now, look at the context of this. Next, we have the very, this very verse you know, but I wanted to put it in the context here of our speech. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's in this context that this verse is known. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's just kind of a little, little thought in there. Paul's, Paul's just giving us a little reminder that your words not only hurt other people, they hurt the Holy Spirit. It's, it's just a slap in the face to God. You're misrepresenting God. When a person is drowning, they, they'll often flow about. And, um, and when you're trying to rescue them, you, go, you approach them, but they can do damage to you. They can hurt you. And so you try to approach them underneath and, or in some way that, that they're not going to hurt you. The very person that's trying to rescue that, that drowning victim. We are rescuing, we're being rescued by the Holy Spirit, sealed for the day of redemption, and we're going to hurt this person? And by the way, it is referred to, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a person here. We're slapping him in the face. The rescuer, the one who is, who is going to make sure that our salvation is sealed, that we will get to heaven. That's just a, it's a no-brainer. We don't do that. Does it make sense? We don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We're gracious with our words. So let's move on. And the fifth one here is, um, the category is uh, our reactions. This is issues of the heart. This is not some kind of legalistic, well, you just put on these things. No, these are reactions of the heart. And these are things within us that cause us to react and, and he gives us a, just a grocery list, verse 30, 31. Let all bitterness and, ra- bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's what you put off. Those are the things that you put off. Let me just run through these. You put them off. These are issues of the heart, which affects our gracious speech. We put off bitterness because that's going to affect. What is bitterness? It's just that pointed, shocking uh, sharpness, that smoldering resentment that, that just fuels to sourness and venomous and uh, needs to be put away. Irritability, we may say. Those things shouldn't be. Bitterness, wrath. 
That's, it's really talking about that inward passion of anger um, that, that can rage, but it's, it's talking about the passions of motives within and the uh, passions of the moment. The anger, the next one, is talking about that impulsive, that fury, that deep-seated stuff that comes out. The clamor is a very similar word, but it's, it's a public outburst. It's, it has the idea of out of control, verbal brawl is what it is. And you've seen this. Maybe you've been caught up in, somewhere in public and you've just seen people just spewing this stuff in, in public out for the world to see, this uncontrolled clamor. And then you have slander, just talking about others this reviling, this, um, this defamation of character. And then you have malice, the last thing. That's that root of vice. That's the badness. That's just evilness. It's essentially what it is. It's that depravity of man. And he goes on to say, be kind. So we put off this category of our reactions from the heart. We put those things off. Those things that are going to just come out. And we, we change that heart. We work on those heart issues. It's the Lord that motivates us to do this. This isn't some kind of legalistic thing, but the Lord motivates us. And we'll close with this. Look what he's putting on. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Issues of the heart. Those are the way, this is what's going to cause me to, to react one way or another way. I have to put on this tenderness, this forgiveness. And what's the motive? Just as Christ, just, for, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. What's the motive there? Be like God. Be like God, but it's also a reminder, isn't it? Buddy, this is the way God has treated you. You have no right to treat other people any other way. The greater issue was your violation against God, not somebody's violation against me. And God has, has forgiven you the greater. It is God that is to be elevated in this passage. All of these things stem from the attributes and character of God. And you know what? Paul says to, to walk in this way. This is what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't just happen overnight. We have to identify that sin. Maybe even categorize that sin. Identify that sin. We have to change our thinking. Change our motives about that sin. And then we have to replace that sin with, with the, a, a biblical replacement. With just the right fit. And here's, what, here's the picture. Here's the great picture here. Paul is saying... <clears throat> God has changed your life so dramatically, so radically. And what you need to do is you need to take off brick by brick and analyze that. Throw that brick away if it needs to be discarded. Or put that brick right in the right place. Get the dirt off of that brick. Put it back on. Put, it, put, the, um, put the right stuff back in. That's the Christian life. That's what we do as Christians. We're constantly analyzing. You know what? Did I do that right? Did I do that wrong? 
Sometimes we need other people. We call that accountability. And we say, hey, how did I come across? I I really didn't mean to come. What is all of that? That's a tender heart, isn't it? That's what it is. It's a tender heart. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Something that we struggle with, but it's something that we're constantly working with. We never become apathetic to those things. Let's close in prayer. Father, Lord, you are so gracious and kind to us. And uh, Lord, you have, um, you have forgiven us the greater debt. And Lord, you have raised us out of this pit. What a beautiful picture. Lord, help us just to clean off our face, to, to wash our hands, to get this sin off. Lord, you've changed us. We're so different now. We have different motives. We have different desires. We want to please you. We're angry at what you're angry at. We love what you love. Now, Lord, help us to work it out in our life. As Paul said, help us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Work these things out in our life. Lord, help our walk to, help our walk to match our position. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.